0: Jambase is pleased to present Clusterflies, a covers compilation reimagining Fish's album Farmhouse, bonus songs, and revamped tracklist. The limited edition three LP release was mastered by engineer Joe Lampert and includes custom artwork and a poster created by longtime Fish collaborator Jim Pollock. A pre-order is underway now through May 3rd at 11:59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit www.clusterflies.com for purchasing information, as well as full album credits and tracklist details. Among the artists who recorded fish covers for Clusterflies were Umphreys McGee's, Brendan Bayliss, Club Delph, Daniel Donato, Sylvan Esso, Chris Forsyth, Neil Francis, Jennifer Hartswick, Amy Helm, Lindsay Lou, Reed Mathis, White Denim's James Petrolli, Strand of Oaks, Sadler Vaden, Vetiver, William Tyler, Riley Walker, and a supergroup led by Tim Palmieri. Each of the songs on Clusterflies will be featured via daily episodes of the Jam Bass podcast with interviews with the musicians that recorded the cover. This episode features Vultures, which was covered for Clusterflies by Tim Palmieri, Amar Sastri, and members of Goose, Twiddle, Tea Leaf Green, and Strange Folk.
1: First debuted on a public Fish stage on June 13, 1997 at the SFX Center in Dublin, Ireland. A night that also featured the debuts of Limb by Limb, Waiting in the Velvet Sea, Water in the Sky, and Ghost, four songs that would ultimately make their way onto Fish's 1998 studio album, Story of the Ghost. That night also saw the debut of Olivia's Pool, which would make its way onto that album via its sister song, Shafty, and also Dog Stole Things, a non-album track that has also made its way onto clusterflies, just like Vultures. Like when I spoke about the fish song Dirt right here on the Jam based Podcast, Vultures made its debut with far less sections than it ultimately winds up with. Absent from the first ten versions of Vultures are a few major components that are now currently present, specifically the song's bridge and a second chorus. But before we begin adding parts to the song, let's go check out that very first version from June 13th, 1997. Fast. And since Fish has only ever played Vultures 42 times, and I have now listened to all of them, I can say with confidence that that right there is the fastest they ever attempted to play Vultures, clocking in at 81 beats per minute at that spot. Fish very quickly, like by the third time they played it, settled into a tempo range that more consistently hovers between 68 BPM and 72 BPM. So his first one clocking in at 81, and the next night at 77 represent tempos that the band would never attempt again and just sounds comical in hindsight. That and there's a pretty obvious fumble on the kickoff when the band comes in on this first version of Vultures. Classic Fish, debuting a song they kind of know and also playing it way too fast. And to that point, I believe I can also say with confidence that the studio version of Vultures that appears on Clusterflies is the only time this song has ever been played accurately from start to finish. Fish just always seems to miss at least one change in Vultures. It's a pretty tricky tune rhythmically, and the band has consistently played it rather scarcely over the years, so it never seems to be played exactly right... ever. I thought it was great. I loved it. So does somebody think because we missed a change or something it wasn't great? Yeah. Is that Brad? Tell me. Yeah. Brad? Yeah. It's a fucking mental case, man. I couldn't fucking care less if we missed a change or a, a number of changes. Doesn't have anything to do with it for me. It's all about energy. I thought that was a pumping show last night.
2: Yeah,
1: I really couldn't care less. It's Who cares, you know? No, people uh, aren't there to like see us, you know, get through all the sections perfectly.
3: That wouldn't be a live
1: show. No, but I thought
3: people were rocking. That's all I care about. <laughs> Got five minutes. Kiss my ass, you fucking
1: tool. <laughs> but back to 1997, by its third play on the Europe 97 summer tour, the band has made the decision to slow it down considerably, and the song gets a lot of plays over the summer 97 tour in the United States. But then on the fall 97 summer tour, the band adds vultures to the setlist just one time, and it was the last night of the tour. Saturday, December 13th, 1997, after disappearing for 20-plus shows. This version from the final night of Fall Tour 97 is notable, as it's the longest version up until that point, and one of the longest versions ever, clocking in at 10 and a half minutes. Also notable as it's our last version of Vultures before we start adding new components to the song. Another almost thirty shows later, on July 29th, 1998, at the Riverport Amphitheater, Vultures made its return to the fifth stage. This time with a new bridge that wasn't present before. And if that bridge seems a little different to you, it is. It is half the length that it is these days. Fish played this version of the bridge one more time a week later at the Lakewood Amphitheater. And then after disappearing again for 30 plus shows, when Vultures appears on November 27, 1998 at the Worcester Centrum, our bridge is now twice as long.
3: was used i think before my guess is that i'll never name this ghost well but i think i hear him knocking at my door Ooh, of the bible and was used i think before my guess is that i'll never use this ghost well but i think i hear him knocking at my door Blind me with
2: ambition like a potato to the throat. Cast aside your foolish pride, I'll cast the final vote. The feelings you've been waiting for are clawing through your skin.
1: Blind you me with ambition like a the- potato to the throat? In case you're wondering, that version right there, Worcester 98, was the first time our vegetable friend made their appearance inside of the lyrics. And since its int- introduction at this show, that would be released as Live Fish Volume 6 in 2001, There have been 13 vultures with potatoes to the throat and 17 without, including the two most recent. When Trey last felt like throwing in the potato back on August 5th, 2018, he really seemed to amuse himself, too. After the addition of the bridge and the doubling of the bridge's length, Fish briefly picked up the frequency in which it plays Vultures, as the song really seems to be finding its spot in the repertoire in the major tours of 1999. And with those increased plays came more tweaking of the arrangement. On the Fall '99 tour, after getting played once at Shoreline, at its next appearance at the Pima County Fairgrounds, Fish injects a second chorus after the band modulates up that wasn't present previously. The version from September 21st, 1999 is also notable as I think it might be unfinished and the only version of Vultures to never really wrap up in traditional fashion. Disappearance, the arrangement for Vultures is set in stone. Well, it's fish we're talking about here. So actually, I should mention that the first three versions in the 2.0 era of fish were also missing that second chorus. But then starting on June 24th, 2004, all subsequent versions are structurally similar. One other oddity from that 2.0 era is that Paige plays the intro on piano differently this one single time. Deer Creek, July 21st, 2003. if he was just trying out a different chord voicing or if his hands just landed accidentally at a different spot on the keyboard. Who knows? After all, Trey doesn't refer to this era as 2.0. He calls it the Lost at Sea period, which always makes me laugh. Speaking of things that make me laugh, you may be sitting here listening to this and thinking, hey, Dave, there's a part to this song you haven't mentioned yet. And I'd be like, oh, you mean the... Aha, yes, I don't believe our deep dive into the history of vultures would be complete without pinpointing when the woos first arrived, now would it? From 1997 to 2012, our vultures are pretty much wooless. I'm sure there are some stray woos if you can hear them on an audience tape. But the first time it's all really going down, that would be August 2nd, 2013 at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, California. Now, why was the crowd so tuned up and wooing with such force? Seems it carried over from two nights earlier when Fish dropped the Tahoe Tweezer, an all-time Fish jam that concludes with some celebratory woo action. In addition for the woos making their way into vultures this night in San Francisco by way of the Tahoe Tweezer, Trey even eggs on the audience to get a woo into to punch you in the eye that night. And man, it was glorious how the band got them to do it. Here. Last question. To woo or not to woo, Trey, that is the question. Woo. There it is. Woo! We've got an answer. That one's from Barry. She says she loves (laughs) you. It's easy. It's easy. We can't thank you enough, man. (laughs) You're gonna be here. And I believe that's all she wrote on The History of Vultures, a fantastic tune that has settled into a once or twice a year existence. Never made it onto an album. The band has yet to play it perfectly once in concert but it is such a great song, always welcome in a set list in my book. For Clusterflies, we had our friend Tim Palmieri form an ensemble to tackle Vultures that includes Amar Sastry, Ben Atkin, Ryan Dempsey, and Eric DiWardino. After we laid down those tracks, we sent it off to Region Hour out in California to supply us with the lead vocal track. I spoke with Amar and Tim about how the Vultures recording came together. Okay, Dave Onigman here with Tim Palmieri and Amar Sastry, our two guitar players that contributed the axe work to Vultures for Clusterflies. Um, so I'm going to take us back to when we were getting the ensemble together here. Um, so in my head, um, I knew that I wanted Amar on Clusterflies and I knew I wanted me and Tim's um, mutual friend, Eric DiBardino. Uh, to To be on the base. Um, and then, I, Tim, I gave you a call um, seeing if you'd be interested and kind of thinking you'd want to just um, round out uh, the ensemble with some of your go-to players, but you actually ended up having a, uh, a much more inclusive uh, idea. Um, so could you tell me a bit about uh, why you wanted to loop in uh, Ben from Goose and Ryan from Twiddle to uh, help us uh, round out the ensemble here?
2: Yeah. um, You know, I, it it just hit me where, you know, it's almost like I was talking to those guys about other things. And so um, it just so happened. I was like, you know, I think Ben and I were, we were talking about jamming. I was like, and we couldn't make one thing happen. I tried to get him on a gig. And so I was like, you know, I want to play with Ben. Let's figure this out. And then you called. So I figured it was a perfect opportunity. Goose is doing well. So I figured also, you know, it lends some uh, weight to um, you know people tuning into the track and uh, getting ex- some exposure. And uh- ben, ben, ben also recently became a Fish fan in the
1: grand scheme of things. He was telling us that day at the uh, at the session that uh, Fish was never really uh, he didn't dislike them or anything, but that his uh, his fandom was was pretty recent, and they are now his favorite band. But it all happened. Uh, relatively recently for him. So that was nice too.
2: That's always, I mean, I wish I can go back to that feel right? with, with yes. many musical acts of like, <laughs> Oh, like my whole world's blown up, but you know, just falling in love, basically who doesn't want to have that fresh falling in love feel, you know? Yeah. So, it- and Ben got
1: to like you know not deal with like uh, being a fish fan when they uh, broke up rather ungracefully as well, right? So you got to like come in when everyone was like doing a lot better and
2: stuff. It seems kind of nice actually. He didn't have to weather any of the pain and anguish <laughs> that we had to, that we had to. So he was one, and then Ryan from uh, Twiddle. We were talking about doing something together. Couldn't put anything together, and then you know, I was like, why not do this? And I know how much of a page fan he is. And, um, so I just figured he'd be perfect for it with his sound. As he, as he was, he totally
1: was. And Amar, I think I tasked you, um, just cause I knew you were, uh, already well familiar with, uh, vultures with, uh, with writing the first pass at the chart. Um, had you taken to a manuscript paper, writing out a lot of fish transcriptions before? I know you've done a lot of solo, uh, fish, uh, fish covers on your, on your social media, but had you, um, uh, written down the sort of entire chart for a fish tune many times before and how did it go doing it for vultures?
3: Yeah, uh, it was, it was fun doing it for vultures. I haven't done it much for other tunes. I did, I've done, uh, parts of fish tunes. I did, um, I think Reba, the, the chase part of Reba, I, I transcribed and I put up a video of that. Um, and some YouTube videos I've done little bits and pieces, but nothing from beginning to end. Um, and that was uh, a bit of a challenge, especially since when I was, I thought I was doing pretty well with the chord changes and I sent them to Tim and he's like, actually this is version here, this is slash chord. And I was like, you know what? He is, a, he is absolutely right. It was one of those things that's like, how did I not hear this? Oh my God. Of course I didn't hear this. Oh, how wait, how, no wait? Wait, I'm going to text him. Oh, no way right it was like it was a volleyball match it was so it was such a great learning experience um uh getting the chart and passing it around and having fun with that
1: well to to be fair as we as we i think we all discussed or at least you and me Omar discussed that day that we were recording this we can confirm that fish has actually never played this song correctly once in (laughs) concert because um, I- I've now listened to all 40-something versions there have been since 1997, and they always manage to miss at least one change. So <laughs> it's kind of a fool's errand to try to transcribe something that's never actually been played the right way before. That's one of the things I love about the Clusterflies version is that there now is a studio-type <laughs> <like, laughs> version of Vultures. It's just the one that
2: we all recorded. And it's not. There is wow. now a Rosetta Stone. A Rosetta Stone. <laughs> right or the song. But uh you know now in hindsight I feel bad. I think we should include should have included every mistake in all the versions to one complete. Right. <laughs>
3: it's 47 different mistakes.
2: Yeah. It's
3: like um, wow.
1: Um well we'll see. I, I if um maybe maybe a maybe a eagle-eared fish fan can listen to uh to the version on Clusterflies and find something
2: that is uh that is tech- technically inaccurate. They're well, definitely you know, i'm not gonna lie i mean i'm a perfectionist so i there's one note in one of my things that i'm like all right well you know that's not what i intended but it works still but i'm I'm, I'm glad
1: i'm glad you brought that up it's been really awkward i heard that note (laughs) too you know same
3: man i mean dave and i we were gonna we weren't sure how to bring (laughs) up that you know yeah
1: yeah i was asking alan who who mixed the track too i was like can you do anything about like tim's
2: note
3: uh Can it you auto tune one pitch, please, but Alan?
2: But it adds authenticity, right? That's why you did it. That's why you exactly. did it for sure. Exactly. For sure.
1: So, Tim, you have not shied away um, from from covering Fish. You are definitely a human jukebox um, member of the member of the Jam community. Um, but am I right in that you've done a lot more covering of Fish in your sort of solo acts um, and a bit less of it full band?
2: Uh, I I would yeah, that's accurate. I mean, um, the breakfast has covered a bunch, and you know I've played uh, many songs with PTF before. Um, I personally know a ton, so yeah, solo acoustic is how I've covered. Uh, yeah, more more fish tunes in in the repertoire.
1: And what I think Vultures was relatively new to you. I think like when we first spoke on yeah, the phone, just- I'm not sure if it actually. Rang a bell because it is a song that's been played um, so so infrequently, and and was never played on a record. So Correct. once you once you finally corrected a Mars chart, um, what was it like, kind of like covering a new Fish song to someone who's been a a fan of the band for for decades, but also was sort of like learning a new piece of work that you sort of hadn't stumbled upon before.
2: Well, it was uh, refreshing, you know. Because Vultures is written in their older compositional style. So uh, interesting harmonic changes and arpeggios and uh, uh, a nice like lyrical melody line that, you know, anyone can sing. And um, so it had all the makings and then, you know, weird lyrics, uh, a ton of syllables, barely able to breathe (laughs) while singing. It had all the makings of a a classic, you know, fish tune. So I was... um, thankful that this project brought that song to my attention, having had that missing, you know? And that's funny because I'd always see it on set lists, but it doesn't mean I know it, know it. It's sort of like, uh, my dog stole things. That's another tune where I'm like, I see it all the time, but somehow I don't know what that song is. I have to, you know, do my homework. I still have homework to do.
1: You still have homework to. you can, uh, you can listen to Neil Francis's version, uh, from, from cluster He's sort of, he makes okay. it sort of sound like a hybrid of uh like uh like pete Townsend and uh and fish the way that he uh the way that he did his and he's super cool all his stuff he records straight to tape and then he pitched it up a half step after the recording it's a it's a super cool track and and like like vultures um is a song that didn't make it onto a fish studio record
2: um but is from the same uh from the same era yeah which I have to tell everyone constantly, like it's like uh, oh, farmhouse reimagined. And, you know, they're like, this is not on <laughs> was at the part of the sessions. You know, people are taking it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> our, our, our liberties that we took. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, So, Amar, let me start with sort of, you know, I'd like to sort of ask both of you guys this question. Um, But. Uh, fish famously a band with with one guitar player um and uh and for for our ensemble here we went we went the dual guitar mode um so as it sort of um relates to like how you uh approach like the arrangements and 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 playing in the group sort of like what goes through your head playing in a dual guitar band for this one session uh for for a song um that only has a, has the one guitar part
3: yeah, it's a great question. I mean, normally for two guitar gigs and sessions, I don't really. It, it's just like any other session, but it's different when Tim P is the other guitar player. That changes. That changes everything. Uh, so my my first um, my first inclination was to to listen more than than I play, um, and I'm glad I did because Tim came up with several good ideas to make it kind of more. Um, kind of a more cohesive arrangement um i think in the beginning he he suggested that i take the first lead the first melody he took the second and i think that really worked out well and then he also tim also came up with the idea of doing the harmony for the tremolo picking uh which never would have occurred to me but now i can't unhear it now and i hear the fishers and i'm like oh man they should talk to this guy tim he's he's got the lock i'm like yeah they should get a second
1: they should set. get a second guitar
3: player they really there. should <laughs> yeah. so that was i mean tim added he he's um you know, being, uh, I was very happy to be, uh, I was trying to support him more than, than, uh, than do anything else. Because if you have listened to Tim's playing enough that, you know, he's such a good listener and he'll, um, you know, if you give him the runway, he will elevate the whole group, which he ended up doing. So yeah, normally I don't really think too much. And I just try to listen, but this one was, was extra special. And I think it turned out real well.
2: Right on. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I took basically the same approach to of listening, me being like a first timer with the tune, um, you writing the chart. You know, I knew that you you were definitely familiar with the tune, but that's why I always learn chords first, right? Like, you know, to me, guitar parts make no sense if I don't understand the context. And that's why I really want to know the full harmony of a tune. And that allows me to then, in this situation, was like, okay, I could play chords, but I'm not going to step on Dempsey's toes now. So I could, you know, compliment him, uh, in the rhythm department and, uh, yeah, then there's space enough for both of us. And I think there was something I did in the middle of the song that wasn't anything they did. And it was like me just hitting a certain chord. And I noticed you guys bumped that up in the mix heavy. And I was like, yes, good. You know, cause it's, it's not a normal part. It's me just playing the chord, but it worked perfectly. And it was, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think I think I know what you're talking about, and I, I think that that would be all, Alan on on the engineering. But are you talking about the the section in the middle that sort of splits up the two guitar solos exactly. with Ryan's little piano feature? Yeah, for sure. Yep, yep. that would to to give our listeners uh, a little glimpse into sort of the the magic that was happening with the arrangement there. Um, I think um, you guys, you know, correctly. I, I remember. We're talking about splitting up guitar solos and stuff. And, and Tim, you, you wise were like, tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to trade licks. Um, you know, no, no one really wants to hear that on a song like this. So we wanted to do like one guitar solo, then another guitar solo. And I think the first take or two, it was just sort of like a Mars solo and then Tim solo. And then, Tim, it was your idea to to try to split it up in the middle um with that piano section, which is like my favorite part of of the of the take, the the drop yeah. into that quiet piano section and that chord um that that yeah Alan really cranks uh on the mix um is great. And I remember one other thing happened there. Like when you guys did that, the arrangement really started to like feel more your own and like more tailored towards a dual guitar thing. And then yeah. but there was still Something a little wrong with the drop, and I remember D Bar uh, on bass. He was like, "You know what I think it's missing? I think I'm just not supposed to play um, <laughs> at the at the beginning of the drop. So when the when the piano drops in, Eric just like sits out for for four or six measures, and it was perfect." Yeah, um, it's like my favorite thing on it is that D bar does not play uh, in those uh, in those because it really ties the whole ties the whole arrangement together. Um, so you both are like have studied the guitar work uh, of Trey Anastasio probably. More so, I'd say maybe than any other uh, musicians that are uh, playing guitar on Clusterflies. So you guys have have listened to a lot and, and covered a lot of fish, um, but I know you guys are also just constantly learning as well. So Amar, to you first, like in shedding all these versions of Vultures, was there anything new? Um, that you heard uh, from Mr. Anastasio's guitar playing that you sort of hadn't heard before in preparation for this session. Anything you took away uh, listening to him working uh, towards this cover?
3: Yeah, one thing that I kind of heard a lot more than maybe other tunes is he was really working uh, off page a lot in a lot of the jams. He would uh, page would come up with these little ideas and Trey would echo them or he'd kind of compliment them or maybe contrast them. But he was there was a lot of really deep listening going on um, in a lot of vultures jams, as opposed to, you know, um, you know, Mr. Guitar Hero, uh, taking a lead kind of thing. So, um, with almost every vultures jam that I've heard, um, he, he seems to really patiently listen a lot. So, um, I think that's, that's a big thing. And same thing with, uh, with Mike too. Mike plays very, very melodically throughout, um, a lot of the jams and even the beginning parts that, that D-bar absolutely nailed. I've heard some, some, um, older versions where Mike kind of slips up on some of those high leads, but T-Bar just destroys them. Um, so I think Trey is really good at kind of stealing ideas from Mike and and, um, and Paige in terms of, of melodic ideas in, in the Vulture Jam. So I think that's one thing I kind of walked away with.
1: And Tim, again, sort of the tune was relatively new to you. Um, and, I'm sh- and I know you listened to uh, a number of versions before. I mean, you needed to listen to something to correct a Mars chart. Um, so... <laughs> um anything uh, anything sort of you were walking away with with fresh ears from from uh, listening to a, a few versions of this tune in preparation
2: um what i appreciated about the melody was sort of how loose it was there is a structure there but you know as i was like seven versions into listening to you know i'm like man he hasn't played it the same twice but there are guideposts that you have to hit for it to be Vultures' melody Yet how he got there was a lot different each time. And so after listening to all them, I just tried to reduce everything I heard, all these variations into like, okay, I think this is a, you know, a working melody that uh, people would be like, all right, he did it justice. And versus like, ah, he missed that part entirely. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a newbie to the tune. So I'm like, I want to make everyone really happy with it and do it justice while being me. and. um you know, and then it, it made me immediately just like tap into his vernacular on the guitar. You know, his classic moves. So, um, yeah, the melody line I found uh, was very interesting. And um, the jam is just quintessential fish. I mean, it's it's tough to even pinpoint. I'm sure they jam it different every single time they do it. But um, yeah, I love how Trey is an ensemble soloist. Because he does lead and navigate, but that doesn't mean he's, like Amar said, the guitar hero all the time, you know?
1: Sometimes. Sometimes.
2: Sometimes. Well, we all want him to be at some point when the (laughs) the energy does get to a level where it's like, all right, it's time to take over. Right, yeah. Grab the baton and freaking run and go. (laughs) You know. But uh, it's nice how they all simmer and listen and and bake the fish cake together. Nice, nice. Yeah, the, um,
1: the... sort of that main head melody that both of you guys play, that Amar plays the first time through and you play a second time through. I think like, especially like the back 20% of it, I feel is the part that's like the least defined. And like when you're yeah, listening I've- to, 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 to all those different ways that Trey do it, there's, there's the parts that like are the melody, but he really sort of like puts on display the crazy ideas that can come out of his head to connect the dots and that, very last part before before the verse or or, or bridge kick in there
2: yeah. yeah so there's a lot of room for you know imp- improv on the melody which is yeah. Cool. yeah totally well I think what we all want to know um
1: and and now for everyone will hear this track is when can I see this ensemble play together again and uh, and when are we gonna get it a name um and, and then when is jam base gonna cut your first like record uh tim you know like uh when when can i see all this happen again and then i don't want to have to make another fish tribute record
3: <laughs>
2: well i mean uh i guess it's whenever um The logistics work out. That's what I write. Anytime goose
1: twiddle, tea leaf green, the breakfast and Kung Fu don't have a gig on the
2: same weekend. So, uh, never, I I guess. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, threading a needle, like (laughs) it can happen, but it's going to be very specific and surgical and it could, you know, and most importantly, money, uh, we're right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Lots of it. You know. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yep. as as my uh as my wedding coordinator at the rock club i got married at anytime time we asked if we could do something his response was always oh yeah well it's nothing money can't fix <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yeah i just watched a uh, class action park uh you know all about action park that documentary oh, yeah. i don't That's know if you've seen
3: one. it whoo
2: yeah wow money money can hush up a lot of things
3: i went there as a kid and got hurt in the wave pool i uh, i have it's my claim to fame other than yeah back obviously
2: but. i went there once when i was a kid wave pool almost drowned me and uh i definitely saw a floater in one of the pools
3: oh <laughs> oh yeah that's sorry that's action park for you <laughs>
1: um (laughs) on that note (laughs) on that note i would like to thank tim and amar uh no thanks guys um thanks for uh thanks for chatting with me and uh and thanks for thanks for putting together such a uh such a great version of vultures uh on such a strange day on january 6th the day that vultures were storming the the Capitol.
2: Yes. This oh, is why I, I was hoping you would bring this up. Like we, were <laughs> oh, yeah. Started, yeah, we all, was, we all want to revisit that <laughs> Well, in the sense that we were in such a protective, positive bubble. Right. Yeah. Eating wonderful pizza, modern beats, uh, courtesy of uh, Eric who brought yeah, it. It was Eric's birthday. It was Eric's birthday. You know, like we, birthday. we were all hanging out. And yeah. We, and, we yeah. actually got to play music and see people and we were like, sweet. And then, you know, phones start blowing up a little bit and, yeah. you know, I think Dempsey mentioned it. Hey, something's crazy going on, but we were still like, we got to get this take. We got all these things. And then within the last hour of overdubs, then it was starting to sink in what was actually happening.
1: I, I remember I, I had circled it on the calendar because like we rescheduled, we were supposed to do this in December. And then it got rescheduled to Jan six. And I naively thought there wasn't going to be much shit that, went down that day i thought there was just going to be more more bark than bite um and and i was definitely wrong but i remember thinking as someone who was consuming a lot of like political news and social media and stuff at the time i was like it's gonna be nice that i'm like just gonna be at this opera house in connecticut when all that is going down and like (laughs) we don't need to like worry about all this like nonsense that's going on and then like when it seemed like it was when it all started to turn horribly wrong I was like well shit I guess I was wrong about that and I remember Alan who was mixing it um, he just kept like between takes it was like he just kept I don't know if he was like saying it loud enough for you guys to hear it or not he's like you're playing to
2: save the world right now (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) that's great yeah it it felt good it was a necessary release and then you know the rest of the night and the day after was just bizarre as hell but i'm glad we got it in i'm glad we started out the year right you know yes. for real yeah all right guys well thanks so much pleasure
3: awesome thank you That brings an end to this episode of the Jam
0: JamBase Podcast Clusterflies series. Many thanks to Tim for chatting with us and for participating in the Clusterflies project. Be sure to visit JamBase to hear Tim Palmieri lead a supergroup on a cover of Fish's Vultures. And visit www.clusterflies.com to purchase your copy of Clusterflies today.